Well, happy Thursday night, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey here with you, Alex Ferrario, along with the Joe Vitale. Happy to be with you tonight for an hour leading you up into Thursday night football, a little Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants action. Joe, you into football yet, buddy? You know what, the football thing, yeah, I'm into it a little bit. You know, uh, it's kind of hard. It's, it's, this whole year's just been so wacky, but I tell you what, I love the football's got some fans in the building. It kind of makes me, uh, gives me a little fire in the belly. I like seeing like, a, a seat here, a seat there, and it's good to see the folks back in those big stadiums. Do you play fantasy football, Joe? Nah, I did one year. It's just, you know, with, with kids, Alex, I just, uh, I can't keep up with it. The baseball is the torturous one. Like, you have oh to be, my God. Like, you have to be on top of it every day. I mean, that, that is for single guys and single guys only. Football is not as bad as once a week, but still it was just the keeping up with it. And, and at the end of the day, I just don't love it enough. I don't, I don't want to give enough time to it to be good at it, so why the heck do it? But uh, are, you, are you one of those guys? Because that's, like, that's like a big deal these days. Yeah, so I play it. Now, I used to be the guy that played in like six leagues at once. <laughs> And I changed that immediately because, one, I'm like, financially, I can't commit to this. This is a lot of money going around for fantasy football, which I'm not really good at. But then you narrow it down to, like, one or two leagues, and I'm like, okay, this is a little bit better for me. But I'm surprised, and the reason I brought it up is because – I've been in those locker rooms before. Like among the Blues players, they give each other crap back and forth about being in leagues. So as a former athlete, I'm surprised that you weren't in more of them. Yeah, we didn't really – it wasn't that big really? know, 10, 12 years ago when I was really starting to come into league. It, it definitely picked up towards my later years, but it was something that – you know, I think a lot of – it just – it gives it gives players a, a reason to watch the game. And, and I totally get it. You know, I, I know players, when we were watching football games, a random guy would say, hey, I bet, I bet 20 bucks on this game. And I, and I didn't watch it. But I was like, you know what, if 20 bucks is going to make – you know, the, the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns, an interesting, you know, three hours for me. Like, I, I totally get it. It's probably no different than Alex than when you go to Vegas, you know? And, yeah. and you look at, like, 100 bucks at a blackjack table. You know, if that lasts you two hours, worst-case scenario, and you end up losing 100 bucks, like, it's 200 bucks of entertainment. Not, not the worst thing. And, and you can actually win something at the end. But, no, it wasn't that big of a thing. And, but I think, I think it is definitely now, especially with this, this younger group. Yeah, no question about that. So, Joe, before we get into some hockey talk, I got to update the listeners because I know a lot of people on social media kind of ask how the pregnancy is going because, of course, I'm getting closer and closer to being an actual dad. So, Joe, we did the 20-week ultrasound the other day. That was the moment that I think it really hit me where it's like, uh, it's like holy-ish, I'm actually going to be in charge of another human being because at that, at that 20-week ultrasound, like, you see the spine, you see the fingers and toes. It was very eye-opening which i'm a little concerned about hey man that's the best one that's when you're right it's, it, it kind of starts becoming a little bit real like you you look at your wife's belly and you're like that's in there and then just wait till it comes out then you're going to look back on these days and you're like wow it's here it used to be there and now it's here it's just it's it's one of the most magical miracles in, in the entire universe and and that 20 week I, I remember that with all my kids that is a that is when they start taking form and shape don't do it 3D just yet. I did it 3D at 20 weeks uh, once, and that was a horrible mistake because they look like little gremlins. They have no <laughs> fat or anything. Yeah, they're just bones, and you start really freaking out and worrying and there's something seriously wrong with them. But, no, that, that that's awesome, man. Now, you got the text. Uh, you sent a text to me and Curbs the other day, and, you know, I tell you what, it brought back some memories. Maybe it made me a little nauseous. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I definitely don't want a fifth, but I'm super happy for you guys. And, man, 20 weeks, that's – 
So if my math's correct, that's like halfway. Is that not? Isn't 42 yeah. weeks at like full term or something like that? Yeah, that's halfway. So March uh, March 8th is the expected due date. And everyone has told me that because it's the first time, that one's going to be late. So I need to be prepared for that one. Um, but, uh, but the uncomfortable stage is starting to kick in for Katie. So now we're starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, how much longer until I have a kid? And I told her the other night, I said, yeah, you're a far way away from that one right now. No, that's awesome. Are you guys taking any like Lamaze classes? Are you reading what to expect when you're expecting all that I, kind of stuff? I've read the baby books, Joe. Uh, we have not done the Lamaze classes yet, but I got to be honest with you, I am a little concerned and nervous about those as well. Breathe, it's like that. <laughs> Do you There's even do that in the in the delivery room? Like, let's be honest. I thought it was more just yelling. You don't do anything. You don't do anything those classes teach you. Um, it's just it's a survival mode and get this damn thing out of me. No, no, there there are some good things. There were some good things. We took a Lamaze class with our first. You know, I think little things like, you know, changing the diapers and, you know, girls, you're, you have a girl. It's going to be front to back. Always go front to back. Don't go back to the That's how bad things happen, right? So it's front to back. Little, little things like that. I mean, that's important, but Alex, I'm telling you, man, when when you go home with your little girl, this is how it was for my little girl, my first one summer, who's nine now. Is that you're at the hospital. It's exciting. It's crazy. And but whatever, you're at the hospital. You're taken care of. There are professionals there to help you if you have right. any questions. Right? It didn't hit me until we literally walked in the front door, closed the door. I looked at my wife. She looked at me, and it was like that that, that like epiphany, like, like that moment, right? We're like, whoa! And at the end of the day, it is our job to keep this thing alive. That's essentially what, what, what your job is. Like, it, you know, humans, we're, we're meant to uh, procreate, uh, have offspring, and then keep them alive so that <laughs> they can, like, continue continue the chain, right? And, and you're looking at each other like, holy smokes, it is our job to keep this little thing alive. And we had never done it before. We were kind of clueless. It was a little bit of a panic, but you guys are going to figure it out, and you're going to do it together, and – I tell you what, man, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great spring for you guys, and and what a great time to have a baby. We just had our fourth in March, March 14th, buddy, and I tell you what, man, that that is awesome. It, it is the best time. You're past flu season. You're kind of things are kind of getting sunny outside. Oh my God, I'm I'm getting excited for you guys. That's good. I love to hear it, and you're gonna be a part of it all the way, buddy. But you know, speaking of having March babies and being past that hockey season, it might not be that way this year, Joe. Like this might be in the middle of of uh, of hockey season when I when we have our baby because uh, if people haven't seen earlier today uh, the NHL announced that the Winter Classic has been postponed All-Star Weekend has been postponed slash canceled so Joe as much as that sucks for Blues fans because we were hoping that the Wild and Blues Winter Classic was going to be the start of the NHL season that being postponed might mean that we're looking at that February start date in the NHL, which hopefully at least is positive news that it steps towards the NHL returning. Yeah, you know, that was some tough news, I think, for Blues fans, uh, given because I think it would have been, I mean, how exciting would that have been oh, to incredible. see planes and the Blue Angels flying over, uh, I believe it's Target Field up in Minnesota to start the season. I mean, that's, in, in the dream world, that's what it would look like, right? And unfortunately, we're not going to see that. And I think a lot of people expected it, but it always kind of stings a little bit when you hear the official announcement, like, this is permanent, we're not doing it. So it is. It's unfortunate. I remember when the Blues got this game with Minnesota last season, uh, all the excitement, everyone kind of was brought back to Bush Stadium. What a tremendous winter classic that was, the St. Louis Blues here in St. Louis. So they were getting excited about that. You know, does this certainly push back the start of the season? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. Absolutely. Uh, you know, January 1 was a – 
it was an ambitious date, I think, in the first place, Alex. We both we, we both talked about that last week. And I think that, you know, mid-January now, it's even it's even more ambitious, you know. You look at players, they need probably three to four weeks of training camp, which puts them back in training camp sometime in December. And, and with, we're almost in November. We still don't have any solid plan just yet. So, to me, it's just it's too much to get crammed in. I think a February start time is definitely more realistic. Now, what does this mean? Alex, this, this, to me, this means you're, you, you can pretty much say goodbye to the 82 game schedule. Yeah, uh, that that you just can't fit it in, right? It's just there's too much there's too much games to be played in such a short amount of time. And for for Alex, for the people out there saying, well, not, why not just back up the season and keep pushing it back to get 82 in and full season? Well, as we all know, um, the plan is to have the Olympics again next summer. Yeah, the Olympics that were supposed to be happening this past summer, they got pushed to next summer. And when's the Olympics? It's like a July, August kind of situation, isn't it usually with yeah. the Summer Olympics? Well, Summer Olympics, yeah, July, August, and then the Winter Olympics usually uh, that January because it's usually the middle of January because then they have the All-Star break as well at the end of January. So there you go. So I think the Olympics will probably be, you know, July and July and August, and, and you got to get out of that way. you got to get out of the Olympics way. So to me – um, a lot of this date kind of keeps getting thrown around. I've heard it from different sources, but January, excuse me, June 30th. You got to be out by June 30th. Wow. They have to figure out something to have a champion by June 30th. So if you're starting in February, you know, a quick math right there. It's just I'm looking, probably thinking 55, 60 game season. We did something very similar in 2013-14 when I was with Pittsburgh. We started late January. Uh, we played, I think, close to 50 games. I have to check the exact number on that. 50 games right into playoffs, and you know what? We had a champion that year, and it was a great season. You know, it was it was fun, it was exciting. Was it revenue loss? Absolutely. Were fans a little bit disappointed? Yeah. But we played hockey, we got a little bit in, and it was great. So hopefully, hopefully the NHL will get going here in February. I think they will. Hopefully we have a plan uh, in place. We should get into this new division kind of format. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen on social media, Alex, a little bit later in the show if we can, we have time. Very interesting the way they have this thing set up, and I, and I think it actually could work. So we'll have to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, I want to get into that in the next segment, Joe. But let me ask you this before we take a break here. Do you think there's a possibility that we don't have an NHL season? And I know it sounds crazy because financially that is a major blow to the NHL, and Gary Bettman is going to do anything they can to get this back on course. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the players are actually finally getting paid for the first time since April. So that's a benefit in the NHL. But with all of this up in the air and what we're going to talk about in our next segment, do you feel like there might be a chance that the NHL just says, you know what, let's let's just wipe this season and start fresh in October? Alex, I actually do. I think it's possible. And I'm going to tell you why. Because one of the proposals um, still that keeps coming out is can they do it in a bubble? Yeah. You know, what does that bubble look like? Um, you know, some Someone said, I talked to a player the other day, they said they've heard rumors that you know, for every division, you're going to go to one city for two weeks, play like eight games, then come home and have a week off in your hometown. And then you go to another city in your division and play eight more games again. So everyone basically meets in one city. You play a bunch of games in eight, you know, 14 days, and then you go home to your families for a week and you have a week off. You know, yeah, great proposal. The players are going to hate it. I'm telling you right now, given what the players had just went through, no more bubbles. They're not doing these bubbles. They're not being away from their family. I mean, they, they some of these players, Alex, they lost two, two and a half, almost three months with their families. Yeah. You're going to be a father in March. You will see what that is. You wait the day your baby is born, and then, then keep in mind when she turns three months old, you will see dramatic changes in your child. 
and that's what you're asking the players to do again? you got to be kidding me. There's no way. There's no way these players are going to, to accept another bubble format. So to answer your question, is it possible we see no hockey? Yes. If, if the NHL, all they can do is come up with a bubble situation, they are going to fight the players. And I'm telling you right now, the, the, the players are going to come tooth and nail, and they are going to fight to the very end. And to me, that could be the biggest hiccup uh, if we see any hockey here this winter. Yeah, that's incredible to think about that. You could actually see no hockey, um, not until October of 2021. But we'll talk about the divisions because Joe mentioned it's a really intriguing factor right now that has a lot to do with what's going on in Canada. So we'll dive into that next. It's This Week in Hockey. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll be back after this here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Of course, this week in hockey, have a fun conversation coming up with Matt Larkin. Had the chance to catch up with the senior writer for the Hockey News yesterday to talk about offseason for the Blues and some other names that might still be connected to St. Louis. So we'll talk about that in our next segment. But Joe, I want to get into the divisions because we just mentioned it before going into break. And right now, the concern is, will we see hockey? But the other factor that goes into this, and if I'm not mistaken, the return to play committee has already been formed to try and get things back together. But now the reports are coming out from Canada basically stating that there will be nobody allowed into Canada without taking a 14-day quarantine at the airport with rapid COVID-19 tests. So if the NHL or the NBA or Major League Baseball wants to play, they're going to have to adhere to this new COVID-19 protocol, which really could throw a staple into Canada and the NHL. I mean, that is why, Alex, that, that, that division format you're talking about has, has come out. That new division format, and, and for all you fans out there listening, you can probably find it on social media somewhere. You'll see how it's all broken up. This new division is, is basically it's derived from the fact that the border is going to have limits. So you look at it like, okay, so no Canadian teams can come to America. No USA teams can go to Canada. So if we're going to do divisions, we have to start in Canada because they can't leave. So all the teams in Canada are going to make up one division. It's pretty simple. You have to do that. So that, to me, is where all this whole division talk comes from. So you look at all the Canadian teams, they'll be in one division. They kind of strategically split it up in in a pretty clever way where uh, they kind of, let's just call it the West, mini Colorado, Dallas, and then you have all the Vegas, and then uh, all the California teams that kind of make up that West division. St. Louis actually fell into South, the South division, which, you know, I'm sure some of the players in the blue team are pretty excited about because you got great destinations like Tampa, you got Fort Lauderdale, you got Carolina, you got Nashville, and then you know what? You got Columbus uh, sprinkled in there with Chicago, and then how about this? A Detroit. You know that they they got out of our division a while back. Now we can maybe see some excitement and, and re-rivalry. I guess that's that's even a word. You can get some more rivalry going back in Detroit, and they're not even going to be that good. I think from a strength of schedule standpoint. Uh, I think this could be worked oh, so much in the favor of the St. Louis Blues. Yes, you got to get through Tampa, uh, but you got Nashville, kind of a weaker team. Carolina's kind of sprinkling on and off. Florida hasn't been very strong. Chicago's not going to be strong. Detroit's not going to be very strong. So from a schedule standpoint, I think this could favor the Blues uh, dramatically. And then, of course, you go up to the east, which is a juggernaut of good teams up there. They're all like a 30-minute flight from each other. So that's 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 obviously the greatest a division to be a part of for the travel purposes. But Alex, how about Vancouver? I mean, look at the travel for Vancouver yeah. because they're all the way out West 
and they're going to have to travel the distance of Canada. Uh, I think the closest one, obviously, is Calgary. It's pretty close in Edmonton. But then you go in the middle of the country, Winnipeg. And then you go all the way across the country in Ottawa, and then Toronto, and then Montreal. I mean, Vancouver, they, they have their hands sold easily, the, the team with the, the, the worst travel coming into this new division format if this is the way they decide to do it. Well, and that's the part that gets me because we mentioned in the last segment, Joe, like the bubble players aren't going to do that. But if these new divisions come to play, players are going to have to do a bubble regardless if they go to Canada because this isn't what it used to be of just going into Ottawa or Winnipeg or Vancouver, playing a game, and then going back into the U.S. This is now going into Canada, having to take two weeks off because, of course, you have to go through the quarantine, then playing around through all of these Canadian teams and then quarantining once you leave again. So, like, in all reality, games against the Canadian side, if these divisions really happen and if this is the way the NHL goes – you're looking at possibly like two weeks of your season or three weeks of your season, really just going up into Canada. Yeah, no, I think that it's very realistic for fans to do not expect next season now to look anything like the same divisional play, the same travel, the same competitor opposition, whatever you want to call it. This, this is going to be a completely different format. Think of what happened in the bubble. Think of how dramatic and crazy that was this coming next season. If there is going to be hockey, which I do, I do believe there will be, it, it is going to look so completely different, and it is going to be so awkward and weird to probably to get used to. Um, you know, we're probably Alex. Realistically, you're probably two, two, maybe three seasons away from from getting back to what we were when the Blues won the, the Cup in 2019 with that format. You know what I mean? I mean, it, when when they were in the bubble, the talk is, you know, now let's look to next year and around August, you can make the argument that, you know, hopefully this thing settles down and hopefully the pandemic can, you know, you start figuring out a vaccine and start getting fans in the buildings. Well, we're kind of approaching November. And before you know it, it's going to be Christmas time. I mean, it, things are moving fast, but they're also moving slow. We're not seeing a, too much progress, I think. So I, I, I do think it's realistic that we will see hockey. I just think fans need to be prepared to to look at something completely different. You you may have, for example, for this for this division format, Alex, and, and you're familiar with this because you're a baseball guy. But if let's say Carolina's in our division in the South, Carolina may come to St. Louis and they may play four games. Yeah, they may play on a Monday, a Wednesday, and then a and then a Saturday, Sunday back to back, and then boom, they're out of there. It's going to be maybe more of a baseball schedule. Well, when you're here because they're trying to limit travel, you might as well get to a city, play a, a, a chunk of games and then get the heck out of there. So fans, you know, you can expect to see, you know, teams around more often, back-to-backs probably. Is that going to be good for the game? I think it'd be kind of fun for the game because it's like a playoff thing. You're 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 chipping with one team one night, and then right. that carries over to the next night. It could be exciting hockey, but, but it also is important to know that things will look very, very different, I think, next year. Um, but I think that if the NHL, to me, Alex, I don't know about you how you feel about this, but if the NHL can figure out how to do a bubble in Edmonton and award a Stanley Cup champion in the summer of 2020, get this here. If you can do that when it was at the height, right, then to me there should be a way to make this work in January of 2021, almost a whole year since this whole thing got shut down. I mean, am I wrong when I say that? I mean, you would think that if they could do that, they they should be able to do that. No, I mean, I got a new saying, Joe, that if you can do something in 2020, you can do anything. If I can have a baby in 2020, you can do anything, right? Like 2020 is just a miraculous year in itself that – If you can find a way to accomplish something like the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball has done, 
you could pretty much do anything you need to do. And I think that's the mindset that the Gary Bettman at least should have going into this. You know, I like the idea, Joe, of having those games played against the same team because let's be honest here. The NHL is going to take another financial hit this season. If you're not playing 82 games, if you're not getting the Winter Classic, if you don't have fans in the stands immediately, you're going to take a financial hit. Having those teams, now if you separate them into divisions and having teams stay in the same city and playing a multitude of games and then moving on to the next city and not having to go back and forth, financially that might benefit the NHL because you're not spending as much money. You're not spending monies for bubbles. You're not spending money on all the travel. You're going to one place and then you're staying in that place until you wrap up that season series. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I mean, saving money. I mean, we were we were joking the other day about this. I was with Chris Kerber down at the Enterprise Center. We were doing a little piece, um, and he's doing great, by the way. I know yeah. A lot of people were kind of asking. We did a cool piece. I think it's I think it's on the Blues Twitter now. But we talk about his surgery and his procedure. But we were talking about just next season, and and we were kind of throwing on the idea of the Blues being in the Southern Division, and we were saying, hey, that could be some pretty cool travel for us. And Kerbs kind of looked at me and said. Buddy, I wouldn't be looking too deep into into traveling this year. I was like, oh, you don't think so? And I was like, no, not only for health reasons, but but listen, Alex, these teams, not only the league, these teams are going to be cutting budgets big time. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna be looking to save money. I mean, do you need to send radio broadcasters and, and have hotel rooms and all this kind of jazz? Especially stuff? with maybe, the success maybe. that we had in the bubble of broadcasting from neutral sites. Yeah, dude, we called a hell of a game. Oh, yeah, too. you did. I mean, Nailed oh, it, buddy. Oh, buddy, we had a good show. So you you know you're looking at that stuff. I mean, this is going to affect everyone and all the dollars on from the league from the teams. Um, it, it's just it's going to look different for a while. You know, it, this is just it's going to be a storm. Everyone's going to continue to weather. You know, anyone out there who and part of me part of this was me. I thought you know what by next year though January we'll get going again. I think it'll be back to normal. It, it, it's looking a little less like that, but it's hopeful. I mean, we're still going to play hockey. It's just it is going to look different for a little bit longer. And um, I hope the fans can can hang with it and, and just accept it. That's just the way it's going to be. The players are obviously dealing with with the stresses of this as well. Um, but getting back to what we talked about in that first segment, I just the more you hear about bubbles, the more the players are going to be thrown off and torn apart by what they just went through. I don't think anyone expected it to be that hard. And not to mention, Alex, you know this because you talked to a couple of the guys. Edmonton's bubble, I think they were promised a bunch yeah. to get them there. And I think that they were kind of deceived and they felt that uh, the league kind of, I guess, broke promises was probably the best way to put it as far as some excursions and fly fishing and golf trips to get out of the bubble a little bit. There really wasn't any of that. It was a very, it was a depressing place to be at times. And I think the players still kind of feel the effects of that. So I think that any, any bubble talk, any, any talk of, hey, we're going to be away from our families for a couple weeks here, a couple weeks here, I, I just, yikes, I, I don't see that going very well. And to me, that could still be the hiccup whether we see hockey or not next season. I agree too, Joe. And one more before we take a break here, and we'll get to Matt Larkin in just a bit. But, you know, let's not forget that next year you have Seattle coming in to the NHL, and that is going to have to flip around some divisions because now you're going to be sitting with an extra team. And they had already talked about, you know, shifting around Arizona, moving them into the Central, um, and then putting Seattle in the West, um, or I'm sorry, in the Pacific with the uh, with the Vancouver Canucks and those divisions might not be set. Seattle might be coming into a very different NHL, which, again, is just another bowling pin to throw into the juggling that the NHL is going to have to do. Yeah, the, the, the juggling of Seattle. I mean, it's disappointing to think that, you know, when you – Seattle got a team, you're, I mean, just everyone's thinking about that opening night. Right. right? Uh, can, can you – 
can you do what Vegas did? Can you outdo what Vegas did? I mean, that's immediately where you go. I know the, the energy and the buzz in that city. I know Matt Lashoff, who's helping kind of steer that whole ring. He's a St. Louis kid. And he's just talking about the excitement of the city to get, to get this team. And, and will it look different? Probably. You know, we don't know exactly to what degree just yet, but, but that's going to be a hiccup. I mean, let's talk about the salary. I mean, we can't even get into this. Cause yeah. so, so, so but the salary cap staying the same. Uh, so now you have this expansion draft where what we saw in Vegas and the success Vegas had by taking these kind of second, third premier elite type of players had success. But now that, you know, the salary cap staying the same, uh, does that affect if Seattle can get a Mark Andre Fleury who's making $8 million? So maybe they can't afford him anymore. You know, so all these contracts were set up and these GMs set these contracts up with worst case scenario. You know, maybe we'll just lose them in the expansion draft. Well, maybe you're not going to be able to free up that money in the expansion draft anymore because of because of what um, the, the cap's going to be. Like if someone came up to me the other day, they said, you know, if Justin Falk doesn't have a better year, I guess we can always lose him in the expansion draft. Well, Justin Falk's making $90 million next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yes, but no. Is Seattle going to be willing to take a gamble on that? So it, it just it has all – I mean, this is a week-to-week hurdle. I mean, anyone who is a long-term planner, any GM – who wants to plan years? I mean, it's just, you'll go crazy. Like, like us all. Like, we all want to plan and have some certainty, but it's still just day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. And, it, and it's going to be like that for a little while. We don't know exactly how long, but I tell you, this is a an ever-evolving, ever-changing situation. Uh, it's just, it's been amazing. But you're right, man. There's so many details that still need to be ironed out. Yep. Just keep going strong. Uh, hockey fans and Blues fans, sooner or later, we'll get back to normal. But it might just take a couple of years to get there. The Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a break. When we come back this week in hockey, Matt Larkin of the Hockey News. Is there a player still that's a free agent that makes sense for the Blues to go out and sign? Matt Larkin talks a little bit about that next here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario with you as, of course, it is This Week in Hockey, and I'm excited to talk with my guy, the senior writer at the Hockey News, Matt Larkin, who I'm sure has been a very busy individual going from bubble life into the off season, and uh, plenty of free agency to talk about. Matt, it's great to hear your voice, buddy. How are you? It's good to be back, Alex. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'm hanging in. I feel like I was in the bubble. I've just come out of the bubble like a player because, you know, in our case, the bubble was being kind of trapped in your house and you're <laughs> covering the games, but you're not necessarily at the game. Sometimes you're on Zoom and it's been uh, quite the experience. I tell you what, Matt, that has been the strangest part for me. And, you know, this is nothing compared to what some people are going for, but us working in the media and working, you know, covering hockey teams on a daily basis, these Zoom calls I have not been able to get used to like I am so used to being in that locker room and I'm sure you are as well talking with players sitting down with them having conversations throughout the bubble and into the offseason these zoom calls have been so strange Oh, it's been bizarre, especially just when it's a, a higher profile event, you know, the Stanley Cup final or, you know, when the players, every player took a stand and there was the big boycott and they stopped playing for a couple of days. And those are, you know, huge press conferences. And you realize you're in the middle of it and it's your turn to speak. You're scrambling to hit the unmute button and you're sitting on your couch and your four-year-old's crawling on you trying to get a word in when you're trying to ask a question to Tyler Sagan or something like that, right? It's, <laughs> a, it's all a, a very surreal experience and I'm sure – We'll look back on it in a few years. Hopefully we'll be back to normal by then and we'll 
maybe look at it look at it fondly at least just remembering how, how different it was well and at least matt we're smarter than some people who don't know how to mute their zoom call or even turn their camera off on their zoom call as we've seen throughout 2020 pandemic so <laughs> so matt let's talk uh let's talk blues first man because i want to touch on the off season with you as well and of course if you don't know matt larkin senior writer for the hockey news he does phenomenal work he and his team covering the nhl specifically this off season let's start with the blues move of shifting away from Alex Petrangelo and signing Tory Krug to a big contract. Matt, just give me your initial thoughts on what took place with Doug Armstrong. Well, I think it was sort of mitigating the losses. And if you look at them as a direct comparison, Petrangelo and Krug, yes, it's a downgrade. But it's still a downgrade to a very good player. I think the difference is with Petrangelo, you're getting a much bigger guy, of course, a right shot, a more complete game, a huge wingspan, the ability to play in every single situation that's shut down role. With Tony Krug, you get a guy who can play big minutes, who can do everything Petrangelo could offensively, who I think is actually underrated in the defensive side of the game because he's a small guy, but he still plays the game hard, and he has a good impact on possession. So it's not like he's a, he's a downgrade completely on defense. It's just that he's not quite as versatile. He's not a guy that you can really you know trust to shut down and clear the net when the game's on the line. You're protecting a lead. You can't do everything that Pietrangelo could do, but very few defensemen could. I still think you know if you if you thought if you're Doug Armstrong, you realize you know you traded the Jake Allen contract, but you still couldn't clear enough cap space, and you're worried that you're going to miss out on another top UFA while you're waiting to figure things out with Pietrangelo. I understand if that was the reasoning behind the decision. Okay, we had to act. We still got the second best defenseman on the market. So uh, I think it's okay to consider that a win, and this is still very much a cup-contending team. Uh, and, and, you know, the overall personnel of the roster is not going to look too much different going into next season by the looks of it, other than Pietrangelo for crew. But that's okay. It's still a very good team. It is. And Matt, the part that's so intriguing to me in St. Louis, at least from the narrative of people saying, oh, well, Petrangelo really wasn't an elite defenseman, blah, blah, blah. And now you're bringing in a Tory Krug. Look, I understand people, people in St. Louis just take to the point of, you know, if somebody moves on, you move on from that person and you move on to the next one. But the intriguing one for me, though, is Tory Krug, because people view him as an offensive upgrade, which in my eyes, he is over Alex Petrangelo, a defensive downgrade. Yes. But what they also bring to St. Louis with Tory Krug now is a little bit more consistency with a left and right handed shot defenseman and as we saw last year with St. Louis Matt that kind of got off a little bit when you had three right defensemen and Falk Pareko and Petrangelo and really only one left handed defenseman to work with those three righties. For sure. It's a great point, and I trace it all the way back to Ken Hitchcock, and I think he, in my opinion, is the guy that really popularized that in the NHL. He did it with the Bowmeister Pietrangelo pairing when the Blues were really starting to get good in the early 2010s, and we saw it on Team Canada, just taking that pairing, dropping them right onto Team Canada, and Hitchcock had the big influence there. And I think that's become this prevalent thing throughout the league in this era more than any other I can remember, where teams want that easy outlet pass. You want your lefties on the left, your righties on the right. And if you're taking guys like Justin Falk and bouncing them around, it can be very difficult. A lot of players have trouble with it. You do find the odd player, you know, like TJ Brody, who the Leafs just signed, he's more comfortable playing his offside. But for the most part, it's sort of a square peg in a round hole, and it's just a lot harder to receive that breakout pass on the boards coming out of the zone. It's a simple thing, but it's just a comfort thing for every player. So I agree that the lineup is much more in balance, and you can sort of go for a super pairing, if you want, of a, of a Tory Krug and Colton Pareko, which I think would be very complimentary, kind of like the, the, the Tory Krug-Brandon Carlo pairing. Again, it's a, you know Carlo, a really big, towering right-shot guy, just like Pareko. Pareko's better offensively, but I still 
think the overall dynamic and what they bring to a pairing is pretty similar. Yeah, it's an intriguing factor. Again, we're talking with Matt Larkin of the Hockey News here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario with you on 101 ESPN. So, Matt, the other thing that I'm interested in, and I know St. Louis is as well, is what the rest of this offseason can look like for St. Louis. And I know you dive into the offseason, remaining free agents, but specifically when you look at the St. Louis Blues, with the uncertainty of Vladimir Tarasenko and what sounds like the uncertainty of Alexander Steen with not sure what Vince Dunn is going to look like with his RFA still up in the air. I'm really curious your thoughts on if the Blues can still make other moves with free agency before the season begins. Well, I'm not I'm not expecting another major move because as of right now, if I understand correctly, they're already over the cap. They're not the 10% over, so they're okay. They're not in, in the mode where they have to get cap compliant right away. But you still have to factor in the Vince Dunn deal, even if it's a bridge contract. You still earn a significant raise of at least a couple, you know, two, three, four million dollars. If you're signing into a long-term deal, it'll be more than that. That'll push the Blues even more over the cap. So yes, you can do the mental arithmetic. You can put Tarasenko and Alexander Steen on LTIR, but eventually the team's still going to have to get cap compliant. It'll come back to bite them. So I don't know if you know if you're looking at some of the other top UFAs that are still out there, and there's some decent intermediate guys still on the market right now. It's tough to picture the Blues being able to bring them in without getting in cap trouble later. So I still think you may have to trade another body out before you can really get serious about that, in my opinion. Yeah, and I agree with that one as well, but when you look at the roster, Matt, do you feel like the team is set moving into next season? Because you're putting a lot of um, you're a lot of high expectations on some younger guys, like a Sammy Blay, a Zach Sanford, a Jordan Cairo, and without Tarasenko, the offense is there from the defensive side. You have players like O'Reilly, Shen, Schwartz, Perron, and Thomas. But does it feel like that they're still missing some more pop when it comes to their scoring? I think you're right. I think, and I think we saw it this year. Of course, you know, missing Tarasenko for most of the season it hurt. Uh, and I, I don't know if right now the Blues have a really good pure shooter like Tarasenko is on the roster. And I kind of feel bad in a way for Jordan Cairo because I think there's just a lot of pressure right now, just the way the depth chart is looking. You know, you're not seeing a, a major piece brought in, so that implies that if the team's going to get better, it's got to improve from within. And Cairo's got to be the guy. You can look at Clint Costin as well, but I think Cairo's the guy they're really hoping for to take the step. And it's hard to project that from a guy who's got great speed, but he just has not yet broken through. He also hasn't been given a huge opportunity yet, but also you could say there's chicken and egg. You have to earn that opportunity to get a bigger opportunity. I could see it from both perspectives. But if you're looking at potential guys to bring in, you know, someone like a Mike Hoffman could bring exactly what the Blues need, especially because Hoffman, he's a left winger, but he can play the right side as well. And that's a pure shooter. That's a guy who averages about 30 goals per 82 games over the past five or six years. If you go the trade route, you could look for someone like a Kyle Palmieri as well. Again, consistent 30-goal threat and a pure shooter. I, I really do think the Blues need that. It's just a question of do you get it now or is that something you pursue later in the season? Because we know this group, it's a very high-floor group. This is going to be a playoff contender, even as is, even if it's less of an offensive team. The Blues are going to be in the hunt when the trade deadline comes. So, you know, do you look at the situation then, and that's when you chase your upgrade? I'm not sure. It's interesting you bring up Mike Hoffman's name, Matt, because, you know, he, of course, as we speak right now, is still on the free agent market. You got guys like Eric Howla, Corey Perry. There's still some intriguing names offensively on the market, what do you feel like this market is going to look like for these guys? Because you wonder this far into the offseason and free agency so far, and as we've heard from some teams like the Arizona Coyotes saying that they're going to slash basically some of their, their, their cap because 
with this pandemic and losing money and uncertainty of having fans, I'm really interested if a couple of these guys that are still on the market are going to be willing to take a one-year deal or less money just so they can be on a team and take a chance at winning a cup. Absolutely, and it's going to happen. It's already happening. I'm calling it the flat cap squeeze. There's a, there's a couple different factors that are conspiring to really squeeze out the middle class of free agents. The one, of course, is the flat salary cap. There's just less money than expected to spend. That's number one. Number two is removing the early UFA negotiation window. I think it just delayed everything, right, because you couldn't have those negotiation periods in advance. So it delayed the start of the summer. So you're going to see, or I shouldn't say summer, I should say off-season. I still call it the summer. But you're seeing a lot of free agents just kind of drifting out to this new, you know, this, this neutral space where they're waiting to get picked up, but there just aren't as many teams that have the cap space. There are a lot of teams, like the Blues, for example, that still have to worry about their RFAs. The New York Islanders, that's another example of a team that can't really do much yet until they get their restricted free agents figured out. So I think you're seeing it. A good example of Evgeny Dodonov in Ottawa getting just $5 million for three years. Statistically, he was probably a $6.5 million player for his time in Florida. He graded out as a, as a top-line player with or without Jonathan Dubon, Alexander Barkov, but he got squeezed, signed a short-term deal with a lot less money than he's really worth. So if you look at the, the top remaining guys like Mike Hoffman or even Anthony Duclair, that's someone I'd be yeah. looking at if I were the Blues because he's someone who can get you 25 goals, 20 goals in the right situations, got great speed. But you can probably get someone like that at quite a discount, especially because he's representing himself right now. He doesn't have an agent. So eventually for some of these guys, desperation could set in. Again, we're talking with Matt Larkin a couple more minutes with the senior writer of the Hockey News. Matt, I'm glad you brought up the New York Islanders because you put a great article out on uh, Sports Illustrated uh, also talking about the panic, don't panic for 2020. And the Islanders were on your panic mode category along with the Philadelphia Flyers. Give me a reason why with those two. Yeah, with the Islanders, you know, you could see it coming because they had Devin Tate, they had Ryan Pulick and Matt Barzell that were restricted free agents. There was nowhere near enough money to sign even two of them, let alone three. And I'm sure there was fear of an offer sheet because, you know, obviously the Islanders are going to match anything for Matt Barzell, which makes them extremely, extremely vulnerable to offers for, for Pulak or for Taves. And, of course, they end up trading Taves for futures. And to me, that's problematic because the Islanders are a team that made a deep playoff run. They're clearly in win-now mode, and they're trading one of their better defensemen for futures. That's something you do if you're you know, a rebuilding team, but they're not. They're a win-now team, and just their financial situation forced their hand. And they still don't have Barzov figured out yet. They still have to figure out Pulak. They're still vulnerable to an offer sheet for Pulak because their remaining cap space, again, if you're giving both guys long-term deals, which I think they both earned, there just isn't enough money to get both under the cap right now. So the Islanders, you know, they're, they're focused so much on just keeping their, their existing core that chasing any other big-ticket players was a complete afterthought and something they can't even do right now. So to me, on paper, that looks like a team that's going to take a step backward. And as for the Flyers, again, that's a team I really like what we saw, what we saw from the Flyers this year. I was kind of starting to think about them as potential cup contenders for next season. I thought maybe after Matt Niskanen retired, my, my coworker Ken Campbell put a thought in my head, oh, what if Philly should have, should have run it out to Petrangelo? I thought that would have been a really interesting fit because they had some sudden cap space created by Niskanen leaving. But instead, they make a pretty modest move. They bring in Eric Gustafson, and, you know, that's fine. Maybe it's a slight downgrade overall, Niskanen better defensively. 
Gustafson better offensively. But for a team that I really think has a chance to make a run, I just expected a little more aggression, but they just are kind of sticking to something closer to status quo. Yeah, I agree 100% on that one, Matt. Final one for you, buddy, and we always appreciate the chance to catch up with you. Uh, in the 2020 offseason, panic, don't panic. I want you to specifically look at the Central Division. How do you feel like these five teams stack up going into next season as we sit tonight? Well, I think Colorado has done enough. I mean, going into the offseason, I already still like Colorado as probably the Stanley Cup favorite going into next season, and they've only improved. You bring in Brandon Saad. So now, you know, I said this before, a year or two ago, Colorado's biggest problem was lack of forward depth. They had the super line, and they didn't have much else. Now they've just continued to add and add. You know, last year it was Kadri and Burkowski and Donskoy. Now you've added Brandon Saad, a multi-time cup champion who's fast and competitive. He's another guy who can be just a role player on that team. And then you steal Devin Tate's from... From the Islanders, and again, you can afford to give away a couple second-round picks. The, the Avalanche already have arguably the best farm system in the NHL. They have arguably the best drafted prospect before this year's draft class, who isn't in the league yet, Bowen Byron, who's waiting in the wings. And then you bring in – so, of course, you can give away picks because your, your farm system is already strong, and then you bring in Tate. So, I think Colorado is the team to beat right now. Goaltending, we'll see if it's good enough. If it's not, I think Joe Sackett can make a move in season. I still think the Blues are strong. Dallas – Kind of like the Islanders, that's a team that was just in a pinch as well because they had the restricted free agents. They just couldn't do anything because they had to focus on those guys. And that's a team that's fairly old. So I do worry that this past season was Dallas's best shot and they might have missed it. So to me, I think Colorado is the class of the division. I put the Blues second. And I think Dallas will still be competitive. Nashville is a team that I also think needs to do more. I think that's a team. If any team needs Mike Hoffman more than anyone, I think it's the Nashville Predators. And Winnipeg, I still think, has a lot of talented players. But again, I still think they're a work in progress. We don't know if they're going to trade Patrick Line. I don't know if the current Jets roster is what we're going to see when the season starts. I'm skeptical. I think there's going to be more changes coming there. So I'd say overall, Colorado and St. Louis, I put in a tier on their own at the top. Still a lot of offseason to go, and it is going to be an interesting one, and you need to make sure you have it locked on to Matt Larkin of the Hockey News. He's a senior writer. You can follow him on Twitter at THN Matt Larkin. Matt, again, buddy, it's great to catch up, man. All the best to you and the family. Stay safe, and we hopefully look forward to uh, talking about a hockey season coming up soon. I really hope so. Thanks for having me, Alex. Once again, Matt Larkin of the Hockey News. We'll take a break and come back with more as we wrap up tonight's This Week in Hockey with a little What's Up With That. We'll do that with Joey V next here on 101 ESPN. Well, we haven't done this in a while, but I thought let's go out on a positive note. Of course, thank you to Matt Larkin joining us in our last segment. Joey V, it's time to get into a little what's up with that because I have two of them for you that I think are going to really spark some great conversation. Are you ready for this? Dude, I'm ready. I've missed this segment. This was one of my favorite segments when we started this show. We got away from it. I'm glad it's back. I know. The NHL took the opportunity away from us to have these moments and stories, but we got them back, Joe. Let's start with the man known as Joe Thornton because a highly touted free agent who has had a illustrious career in San Jose was drafted by the Boston Bruins, but the elusive Stanley Cup, he has not been able to win that Stanley Cup. Joe What's up with Joe Thornton sitting there telling the media that he's going to sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs because he wants to win a Stanley Cup before he retires? Dude, Joe Thornton is an absolute savage. This guy, I'm telling you right now, he when 
we all love hockey, Alex, when you make it to the NHL. You can't make it to the NHL if you don't love the sport, right. okay? But then when you get there, you start getting paid all this money, and then there's all kinds of pressure, and then coach starts knocking you, and then you get sent down to the minors. There, there are things that happen when you're a professional that kind of suck the love of the game out of you. It happens to almost every athlete. Look what Ryan O'Reilly's remarks were in Buffalo. Yeah. You know, uh, this is Ryan O'Reilly, the potential maybe captain of the St. Louis Blues, so he, incredible character. But he even said it kind of wasn't enjoyable coming to the rink anymore. This game, when you get to this level, it has a way of sucking the love of the game out of you. But for some reason, the game and, and, and the system, it has not affected Joe Thornton. This guy, he just loves <laughs> hockey. You're going to have to literally rip the pads off of his body and tell him, no, you cannot. You got to treat him like a two-year-old. Like, no, you cannot <laughs> go out there. Stop it. Sit down. Go to the corner. Like, you're, you're going to have to do that. This guy, he, he just he will not stop. I think he has just been um, such a great example for young kids about what the love of the game looks like and how to handle yourself professionally and, and things for the media and things that the captain he was for San Jose. He's overseas playing hockey and he's coming back to play for the league minimum just because he wants to win a cup. It's, it's amazing. I know that I remember when Ray Bork lifted the cup, Alex, I'm sure you do too. And all the buildup and how he just never yeah. won it, never won it. And went to Colorado and finally got it. Joe Sack and Kane off the Ray Bork. I'm getting children now thinking about it. He lifts the cup and you're like, Holy smokes. This guy finally got it. I'm telling you, that moment was great. If Joe Thornton wins the cup next year for whatever team he ends up on, I think that will be I think that will actually trump Ray Bork. I think so too. And look, I love Joe Thornton and I, I I hope he wins the Stanley Cup because he's one of those guys that you feel like he's a Hall of Famer no matter what, but it just solidifies that Hall of Fame opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, you know, another one was Dave Andrichuk when he won it in Tampa. Like, it felt so good to see it. But Joe, the reason I put it in here, like, are we sure Joe Thornton doesn't have a concussion to say that he's going to go to Toronto to win a cup? I mean, Toronto's got a great team and all, but boy, talk about choke artists. I mean, t- Toronto has been choke artists every year in the postseason. Like, don't you think there's a better team for him to go to to win a cup? Like, maybe Vegas? Well, you know what? Maybe he's taking a little note from the Tyler Bozak notebook. You oh, remember when the Blues? That's right. the Blues a couple years ago. Look at they you go. Tyler, they signed Tyler Bozak. And what, what did Bozy say on the, on the call to Army, which Trevor Nickerson and the whole Blues crew got on video and, and the audio and made social media kind of went crazy. But he said, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited, Doug. Now let's go. Let's go win a cup. And that kind of made a lot of, a lot, lot of news. And it didn't look too good when the Blues started the season. But, of course, Tyler Bozak in his first year wins the cup with the St. Louis Blues. So maybe, maybe Joe Thornton's kind of like, maybe I'm just going to push the confidence here. And, I mean, and if you're going to win a cup, my God, like, talk about it. You'd be a, you'd be a legend. You'd be a oh, legend. Yeah. You'd be a greater legend, I think, in Toronto. Al- I mean, okay, Alex, if he wins a cup in Toronto, is he a bigger legend in San Jose, Toronto, or Boston. Go. Toronto. Uh, obviously Toronto. Toronto. Like, he's forever known as a San Jose Shark. He was drafted first overall by Boston. But you win a cup, you are forever known as a Toronto Maple Leaf legend. Big time. Not, not even a question about it. I mean, he'll retire there. He'll probably be the head coach there in like three years if he does that. <laughs> so, uh, was it a ballsy? Yes. Is it? Is it going out with a bang if this is his last year? Absolutely. Hey, keep an eye on his buddy, too, Patrick Marlowe. He signed a contract with the San Jose Sharks again. Yep. And, Alex, I think he's like 40-ish games away. 44. From breaking the all-time all record for most games played yep. ever. Right behind Gordie Howe. 
unreal. I think he'll get it. He will get it. And you know what? If the pandemic doesn't stop him, he will. I mean, oh, yeah. he's got enough good hockey. You know, he played for Pittsburgh last year. I thought he wasn't, you know, listen, he wasn't the same player he was five years ago, but he's eaten up good minutes. And I think San Jose, I think they would like to see, I think they feel like they owe it to him to see that, to see that through. So if, if the league can get 60 games, you better stay healthy because you know, you don't have many opportunities to be sitting out if you need 44, but that's another, that's another oldie to keep an eye on this year. Some cool stories. Yeah. That'll be really cool to see. Well, speaking of ballsy, Joe, this was the other one. What's up with the Colorado avalanche changing their name? I don't know if you saw this of their hockey arena from the Pepsi center now to the ball arena. I saw that. So it was Pepsi not sponsoring them? How did, how did so that I think, work? Why from what think? I understand, Stan Kroenke, of course, who owns the stadium and is a, his son is the owner of uh, the Colorado Avalanche, they came to a deal with a company called Ball Something that is like a, a major conglomerate when it comes to recycling. So the, the, the storyline behind it is awesome. Like, look, Pepsi Center, I think they signed a one-year extension I read last year, so they were kind of already on the fritz. And then you bring in this recycling conglomerate to name your stadium, more props to you. I'm just a little concerned with how many people are going to make fun of the name of Ball Arena. Ball Arena. You can have some fun with that one. I just, I never liked Cronky for one reason. Forget the Rams thing. I mean, yeah, that was disappointing, but it is the only arena where they stick Curbs and I at like the far corner of the press area, and we have like this tiny, tiny little room at the corner, kind of where we were in Boston for Game 7, Alex. You remember that very yeah. well? Kind of we're stuck by like a concrete column, <laughs> and and it's only and everyone squished together at the Pep, well the former Pepsi Center I guess now the Ball Arena, <laughs> but they are because Kroenke's got his suite center ice at the very top, so he literally has pushed everyone aside. Uh, that's a ballsy move. What ah, you just did. See, see, right there. see what it, I was just going to ask over under how many ball cliche slash jokes you and Chris Kerber make on a broadcast. I mean, we're going to hit a bunch. I'm excited about Seattle because we're going to hit the Kraken. We're going to hit the Kraken yep. jokes pretty hard on that one as well. We're going to have some fun with it, man. Oh, yeah, whenever we can go to Denver and we can poke fun at Kroenke a little bit, and now with a ball arena like this, I tell you what, we're going to have some fun. I can't wait for those moments. That is going to be entertaining. Joey V, always good to talk with you, buddy, as we continue to push through this offseason and hopefully get some hockey back again if you're just joining. Um, the Winter Classic has been postponed along with the All-Star Game. Still no word on when the season can start, but um, if you missed our conversation tonight talking about what the season could look like, check it out on the podcast at 101 ESPN. Com. Joey V, have a great weekend, buddy. Uh, make sure you and the family stay safe. All the best to you and the missus, and we'll talk soon, man. Alex, take care, buddy. Take good care of your wife. I know she, the swelling really picks up after 20 weeks. Make sure you're rubbing her feet. She's elevating her legs. Or else they'll turn into, her feet will turn into loaves of bread if you're not careful. Well, I'll call the bread man then to get some advice on that when they turn into loaves of bread. I see what you did there. I like it. <laughs> talk to you later, Joe. Joey V will take a break, close things out. Thursday Night Football next here on 101 ESPN.